the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and my co-host Larry Dershman and I would like to welcome back a friend of the show. Larry, who do we have on the line? Yes, Wendy. It's number one New York Times bestselling author Dick Morris. He's also a consultant. Of, he was for Bill Clinton to get him elected as president, as well as Donald Trump. And he's got a new book out. I think we've mentioned it before, but it's 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 a great book on why Trump is going to make a tremendous comeback. Uh, in uh, 2024. So welcome to the program, Dick. It's so good to have you back. Thank you, Larry. And Wendy, the the name of the book is The Return, uh, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. Originally, I wanted to write The Second Coming, but they told me that. (laughs) (laughs) But that was already taken. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, so Dick, you know, it's just been a fascinating road as we move towards uh, 2024. And one of the biggest stories that grabbed headlines politically lately is Hunter Biden's laptop. It seems like, you know, it's back in the headlines because he's back in the headlines, albeit for potentially other crimes. But how does his laptop factor into President Joe Biden's war on former President Trump? Well, um, I'm sorry, Blake Masters, the Republican candidate for Senate in Arizona, was in a debate last week with Mike Kelly, the Democratic senator, and he was so neat. The uh, commentator, the moderator, threw a question to to Masters, expecting to trap him, saying, uh, is Biden an illegitimate president? Did he not fairly win the election? And he was expecting Masters to launch into the fraud and all that that really happened and to be labeled as an election denier, which would be pigeonholing him. Instead, he came right back with a great answer. He said, yes, I think that Biden was unfairly elected. And I don't think the election was fair because the news media and the government collaborated to suppress the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. And if that had come out and the government had not peddled the line that this was Russian disinformation, which they knew not to be true, uh, Trump would have been elected president. I think that's right. And I cheered at the TV set. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting that uh, recently uh, Jake Tapper from CNN did a uh, what some would call a softball interview with President Biden. Yeah, and they said the question that he, they should have asked is, are you the big guy that was mentioned on Hunter yeah. uh, 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 Biden's <laughs> laptop? And yeah, uh, actually, this Tony Bobulinski has kind of confirmed that, yes, uh, President Biden was, in fact, the big guy. Yeah. So there's so many things that are missing uh, as far but, as the you know, questioning 
Evans. There was something else about that interview that bugged me. Um, I've always believed in politics that when your candidate is being hit with a charge that will kill him, uh, that answer the charge, he can survive and hope that everyone forgets about the one that will kill him. When I was working for Clinton in 92, we had two stories that surfaced at the same time, that he had ducked the draft, which would have killed him, and that he had an affair with Jennifer Flowers, which he could survive. So he asked me how he should handle them, and I said, answer the Jennifer Flowers one, but don't touch the draft thing. And the draft <laughs> thing face because people will just be attracted to the sex scandal, and they're not going to bother with your draft records. And that's exactly you what know- happened. Uh, in this situation, they asked Hunter Biden, he, the story is that he may be indicted for uh, lying and for tax evasion. So they asked about the lie, which was he was on a form and he was asked, uh, do, do you use drugs, a gun form? And uh, everybody would answer no. Nobody's going to answer yes at that point. Um, they won't get a license, you won't get a gun. So um, that they asked him about that. And they did not ask him about the bribes from China or about the tax evasion or about the money paid to his father and all that. Instead, they asked about the scandal by asking about that drug question. Uh, And I think that's a great example of damage control. You know, it it brings up another issue that we, Larry and I, face very frequently in court and in preparing cases, and it has to do with credibility and lie detecting. And it's always so much easier to tackle a question that has a defense than to attempt to tackle a question that doesn't. And I, I don't know if the general public really absorbs how frequently this is used, uh, frankly, by both sides. I mean, both sides uses this to an extent because they have people like, like you. They're just, you know, Dick, you're so savvy in terms of, well, what should somebody say and what should they answer? What should they try to explain? Because when you have to tell the truth, you really have to make sure you do exactly that or your credibility is shot. And on yeah. that topic... You know, as we're predicting uh, how things are going to shake out on November the 8th, I mean, how much do you think the election is really going to turn uh, on some of these issues that we're talking now, whether it's the laptop, who did or didn't pay their taxes, the Mar-a-Lago raid? How significant are some of these at least more personal issues? Uh, Okay. Not not much. How so? I think it's going to be inflation against abortion. Mm. I think those are the only two issues left. And the uh, Democrats are betting on abortion, the Republicans are on inflation. And the race is basically coming down to that. The other stuff are just distractions, some deliberate, some inadvertent. But um, let me just go through the state of play right now on the race. I think the uh, race comes down to three contests, and those contests will determine who controls the Senate. And they're M-O-W, mow the Democrats down, M-O-W. Masters, Oz, and Walker. Masters in Arizona, Oz in Pennsylvania, and Walker in Georgia. Those are the three key races we have to win to be able to control the Senate. We need to win Oz in order to reelect all of our 50 members. We, and then we have to pick, and then we probably are going to win with Laxalt in Nevada. Uh, so uh, that would be one, and if Oz loses, it would make it even. And then we have to win in either Georgia or Arizona. And um, I think we, and I hope we win in both. Um, But if anybody out there has a credit card that needs exercising, uh, take it out of your wallet and 
call up and get on the get online and give even a small donation to those three candidates, Mo, M-O-W, Masters, Oz, and Walker, because everything depends on those guys. So how does it look, uh, Dick, regarding the Pennsylvania race, Oz versus John Fetterman? It seems like Fetterman's got some real issues, even health-wise. Yeah. Is it looking pretty good for Oz at this point? Well, it should look good for Oz, because Fetterman can't utter an English sentence. But uh, the last poll has him still three or four behind. Um, there's a debate in Pennsylvania, the only one of the campaign, in the middle of next week. And uh, that'll determine a lot uh, because it'll really showcase whether Fetterman can, in fact, has the health to serve in the Senate. Uh, if it turns out that he uh, passes that test or that he even gets a sympathy vote, then I think it's essential that Oz answer the argument about abortion. One of the wonderful things about Masters in his debate against Kelly is they asked him about it. Kelly attacked him on abortion. And Masters came back and he said, look, I favor the current Arizona law, which is exceptions for rape and incest in the life of the mother and okaying abortions within the first trimester, 15 weeks. After that, not. The real extremist in this race is my opponent, Kelly, who favors abortion up to the moment of delivery. Imagine that killing a live baby. And uh, that's terrible. And that, ad, that answer, I think, was great and it left Kelly with nothing to say. The problem is that Oz and a bunch of other candidates don't want to do that because they say, I'm talking about the other side's issue. And they don't realize that they have to rebut that, that uh, if you live in Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania law, which provides abortion up to 24 weeks, is not going to be changed. It'll be right there. You're not going to be affected at all by the Dobbs decision. Uh, this is just democratic conjecture. Oz really has to make that point. He has not yet. You know, that's an interesting point because you're right. Inflation and abortion, those are two biggies. Um, but inflation really impacts everyone. Abortion does to an extent as well in terms of really um, you know, solidifying a very uh, personal issue for, for both Republicans and Democrats. But what do we think about, um, you know, maybe paying too much attention to the other side's issue? You rebut it. And I, I love what you said, Dick, because you're right. It really, the devil's in the detail. The, you know, some, some say two weeks, some say five weeks, some say 15. Yeah. All um, I hear all day long is people misrepresenting yeah. other people's positions. But it's hard well, to do that on inflation. I mean, it is I, I, what it is. It hits everyone. And you don't want to go into a winter where people are choosing between Cheating and eating, and that's what some people are facing. Now, did you just make, did you just say that or are you quoting me? Oh, oh no, she's asking the question about the inflation. No, I, that, that yeah. was my sound bite. <laughs> oh, good, because <laughs> I, I, I first, too, Dick? well, I first used it in 1980 when I was running the campaign for Warren Rudman, the senator <laughs> in New Hampshire, and then I've used it lately. Uh, but uh, congratulations. Uh, I won't awesome. see you. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so, well, Dick, um, look, you know what? I hate to look, say it. I just got the one. I just got the one minute warning. So give me 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a difference between issues you see on television and the ones you see in your daily life. And inflation is the latter and abortion is the former. And uh, and and ultimately the inflation, which directly impacts you every hour of every day will prevail, I think, over abortion. 
I know. I think that's right. Dick, I hope you come back and join us. You are just delightful to speak to. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you, Dick. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to today. Oh, thank you. I'm right. It's always nice to quote somebody you respect that came up with a phrase. Uh, You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Please don't touch that dial. We are coming back for a second half. We'll be back in the class. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. We have a great second half for you. We are going to be talking about the largest defamation payout in American history, talking about an issue connected with the deadliest massacre in American history, of course, being Sandy Hook, where we had uh, 20 children killed and six adults. Um, We remember it like it was yesterday, and sadly, the victims' families have had to relive it like it was yesterday during the course of Alex Jones's last defamation trial, upon which they verdict. Uh, basically delivered to the victims nearly $1 billion. That's billion with a B. But the big question now is you can deliver a verdict, but can you deliver the money? Show me the money is what the, the victims' families are going to say. Are they ever going to see the money? Yeah. On August 5th, there was another trial in Texas where the jury awarded uh, the the parents of these uh, children that were gunned down in Connecticut, uh, 49.3 million total damages. And then on October 12th, just a few days ago, a jury in Connecticut, different trial, different set of parents, awarded 965 million. Those together, Wendy, are over $1 billion. And I think he's declared bankruptcy. I don't see how few people could pay that bill. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. So, right, so the company has declared bankruptcy. You know, he's personally liable, too, you know, the way the, the lawsuit was phrased. Um, obviously, he's going to appeal. He was, you know, very quick to point that out. Uh, it, but it's, it's not, shouldn't really be a case about politics. It's really a, the payoff is to compensate the plaintiffs. I mean, they have been threatened over the course of the, of the last couple of years. And, you know, it hasn't even been a couple. We're talking 2012. So this whole class of, as been alleged, you know, trafficking and misinformation, that genre, does it necessarily die with the company of Alex Jones? Or is this something somebody else could pick up? I mean, you would hope that a payout like this would, or a verdict like this, regardless of whether they collect or not, would dissuade uh, anyone who would be engaging in misinformation intentionally. Um, but I'm, I'll also say, you know, remember in Texas, Alex Jones took the stand and said, I know now it's so real. Yet we didn't hear anything like that in this trial. We did hear him say, you know, I'm not apologizing anymore. But I mean, Larry, you and I both know that impacts sometimes not only jury decisions, but the, the jury award. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Just to refresh the memories of people that that are listening uh, tonight, uh, we're talking about this unfortunate, this tragic, unfortunate uh, event that where a gunman, he killed 20 children, mainly between the ages of six and seven, and six staff members before he killed himself. And this was back at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. Well, that was in December of 2012. Then in April of 2013, uh, Alex Jones in his Infowar show said that he thought, in his opinion, this was a government operation. It was an inside job that these people were merely actors. And that set off this whole chain of events. And it's, and it's a horrible thing. And I'll tell you, Wendy, I really am torn. I think what he said was the most disgusting thing I can imagine. But I'm also aware of first the First Amendment. And so there should be some bounce there. I mean, if people can get upset about what you say, can you sue them for their livelihood? So basically, they're penniless for the rest of their lives just for something they say. Again, what he said is just almost unforgivable. Maybe it is unforgivable. But that jury award is just like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just a few people in the world could pay that. Well, it's interesting that, you know, one of the issues that um, his lawyers are going to appeal is, you know, they're going to argue that it's plainly excessive. They're going to basically say, you know, that that's absolutely too much money for what happened. Um, one thing his lawyers have always been very careful to do is distance themselves appropriately. In other words, they said, we're not representing Alex Jones, the person. We're not saying he's a good guy. We're talking about the legal issues in the case. They've said that. Um, and, and that's what I mean. I mean, justice delayed has been justice denied, but the hammer fell. And now that it did, you know, he's faced the reckoning. Um, people worry the style of politics that he made popular is here to stay. And, you know, when you talk about conspiracy theories, it's one thing to, you know, have ideas and express your ideas. This is actually a case, you know, obviously it's a defamation case. It's not, you know, it's, it's, so it's a tort action, but you have to think through what was involved behind the scenes. I mean, the, the endangerment, the threats that some of these family members received, and some of them testified during the course of the trial that, you know, I don't even want to repeat on the air some of what they were mentioning uh, had happened to them and their families by Alex Jones supporters. Now, obviously, you know, there's an issue of, well, was that all intentional and, and was that all um, foreseeable? But this jury today, you know, the answer, the jury last week, I mean, the answer appears to have been yes, at least in their minds, from what they heard during the course of the trial. Right. And just so people know, uh, this is kind of interesting. If you're not familiar with defamation law, there's two types. You know, there's uh, slander, which is the spoken statement, and there's libel, which is the written statement. And you have to prove four things, basically, that the statement was false, that it was published to a third party, which could be the the audience of his radio show and that the fault, uh, his, his bad act uh, amounted to at least negligence. And finally, there must be damages, uh, provable damages. And, you know, Wendy, I, so those are the four uh, prima facie requirements of a defamation lawsuit, but I almost thought this should be intentional infliction of emotional distress. And I think that was alleged. I'm not sure if that was in the pleadings because these poor parents were uh, obviously, uh, they're threatened and put under a lot of duress. And that to me is uh, emotional distress and it was intentional in my view. So what do you think about that? 
Yeah, no, that was actually part of um, that has been that claim has been incorporated in some of the cases against Alec Jones for obvious reasons. And, you know, you're right to say that that probably the many people is even the the more obvious tort claim that's been involved here. Um, The families have also, you know, you talk about safety issues. They've suffered this decade long campaign um, from Jones's followers of harassment and death threats. So, I mean, the, the emotional distress is bad enough, and, you, you know, you, you heap on top of that, you know, issues about personal safety. Uh, the, the judge has to consider punitive damages. But one thing in Connecticut is apparently punitive damages are capped at attorney's fees and litigation costs. There's been a lot of discussion lately about the amount of damages. And we're getting very clinical when we're talking about the amount of money and damages. These families, I mean, there's nothing, their emotion, the raw emotion they shared at the trial was the last thing from these legal clinical distinctions that we're making after the fact. And you got to believe that that perhaps drove the amount of the verdict uh, of damages that they arrived upon. You know, we can talk all day long about numerically what does each get and how do we divvy it up, but there, I don't know that a lot of people are questioning why they arrived at the number they did. It has to do with the very real-world trauma and, as you point out, emotional, uh, emotional distress that they suffered for 10 years. Right. And I just wanted to point this out. I always love fair and balanced justice, right? Justice is blind. And I'm just going to bring this up real quick, Wendy. What about uh, Justice Kavanaugh, where a gentleman by the name of Nicholas John Roski, age 26, tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice for the Roe v. Wade overturn? That happened just back in June of this year. And what about the North Dakota man, Shannon Brandt, age 41, who ran over an 18-year-old guy by the name of Kaylor Ellingson in North Dakota because he was a Trump supporter? And that was ginned up, that hatred, I think, by the media and even by our current president, uh, as far as, like, all these people are bad, and it's really kind of... Uh, bringing about these threats. And I think it should be on both sides. So could the family of that gentleman that was run over, could he sue the media or someone else for uh, genning up the hatred against Trump supporters? I'm just asking. Sounds like a research project for you, Larry. Okay. So, so what did you think, Wendy, about that? Is it, I, I, I can see this, uh, people being stirred up to commit crimes by the media and by some of our politicians. So, well, I think that, I think that the January 6th hearings have dealt with a lot of the issues that, uh, that you're talking about in your research question regarding, you know, to what extent does first amendment free speech actually incite violence? Um, and that's an issue that has been with us forever. And, and is, is fast, specific and circumstance specific, but prosecutable. And we've seen that by all the different types of cases that are going on that arriving now out of the sixth of January sixth hearing that is ongoing and continues to, to generate not only suspects but witnesses, which obviously we can spend an entirely new segment on. Um, but this is the world we live in. You know, we, we want to maintain safety. We want to wish everybody uh, you know a safe weekend. We say this every week. We live in a day and age where we really have to take every precaution we can to protect ourselves, our families, our loved ones, and our communities as we look out for each other. So I always like to sort of end with the the silver lining to all of the heavy, weighty topics we discuss. 
Um, so right. That, that's probably the bottom line with all of this. Right. right. And uh, just so you know, it was kind of interesting going back to the Alex Jones case that, that this one that was held in Connecticut, that he was not even present in the courtroom and his defense team did not even uh, really fight it at all. So I just thought that was interesting how they didn't basically, I guess they showed up, but not much else. And that's kind of an interesting strategy, I thought. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting when you see uh, where you would otherwise expect a, a large amount of support and you don't have any. You know, we see, we sometimes comment on that at a sentencing phase or at a, a damages phase where one side has a lot of information regarding what, what the verdict should be, what the damage should be, and the, the other side has more technical information that's correcting the record. That Sometimes the absence of evidence speaks volumes, doesn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. It does. So it, it's interesting to see if is this going to end his career and, uh, you know, what happens next? I think everybody's going to be watching, but it, it's certainly putting a lot of people on notice uh, to see what happens. And I just hope it doesn't have, uh, uh, again, I, I, what they said was horrible, uh, what Alex Jones said, but I hope it doesn't have a chilling effect on free speech, because that is our yeah. First Amendment right, and that's what separates us out from, from probably 95 or 99 percent of the rest of the world, is our right to free yeah, speech. It's a balance we'll continue to discuss, and uh, we want to thank our listeners for joining in the lively discussion, which I hope you're having at home with your loved ones, listening to some of these weighty issues being tossed around. But uh, we hope you have a wonderful, safe weekend. We hope you do stay safe. From anybody that uh, might tend to take things a little too far. And we also want to really, you know, encourage everybody to be peaceful and, and watch out for each other. Neighborhood Watch only works if people are watching. Join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. Thank you for joining us. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.